your Fed Cup earrings? Oh, of course. <laughs> I thought you might be wearing them today because you've spoken about them, but you didn't send me a picture. I have seen nothing to do with these. What ter- possibly turned out to be... What, what, do they, what do you mean Fed Cup earrings? They're earrings that I was given by a couple of my aunts. They got me them when I, when I represented GB. And oh, they're just red, white and blue. There's a diamond in it there's a red stone and a blue stone and they're really nice and they look nice so I wore them when I played Fed Cup the first time around and I did wear them to the Fed Cup tie at the copper box but I only wore them for the first day because as you'll know after having headphones on all day earrings are not necessarily the best choice because they pretty much had dug into my my neck are they dangly are they dangly or are they no, I no. mean I like the diamond part that's lovely but so they're just they're <laughs> they're sort of studs well it's not a massive diamond I should say first of all it's a teeny <laughs> tiny diamond uh but they are yeah they're studs and just the back of it just just was digging into my neck and normally I don't really wear earrings when I'm commentating just because the headphones are sometimes they can be a bit like clamps on your ears and it's not the most comfortable <laughs> thing but I did wear them and I did have them with me for day two and look it worked way oh oh so you're taking some credit for great britain's win <laughs> of course that's brilliant of course. that's brilliant no i would i would say that my involvement was minimal this year <laughs> i know we should start with a tennis but can i start with a trombone and the trumpet because when I kept Aww. checking in on Twitter, because I was working on Monte Carlo, but I was trying to keep a close eye on things, what was trending was not necessarily the tennis or the people involved in those rubbers. It was the trumpet and the trombone. For the first few minutes, I thought, what on earth are they? What, what on earth is going on down there? Just people talking about this amazing band. Yes, and they were amazing. So there was one main guy who was a musician who was flown over and asked to be a musician at the side. So quite a lot of the support, I think, were flown over, tickets bought for them by the president of the Kazakh Tennis Federation or whatever position he holds anyway. And uh, the best decision they ever made. I mean, their support was amazing. They drowned out everyone. There's only 300 <laughs> of them and there was another 5,000 British supporters and they were incredible. But the trombone, I've honestly, I just kept laughing. In commentary, I've never laughed so hard. Every time. So Joanna Conta started off very nervous. It was the very first match. In that first set, she was missing a lot, as can happen to all players. Uh, she was very tight, very nervous. It was quite an overwhelming situation. She settled down. She was fine in the end. But every time she missed a shot or made an unforced error, particularly the the real unforced errors, you know, the short ball or the drive volley that really should go away or you feel like it should go away when she missed them. Every time the guy on the trombone just did this sarcastic lament <laughs> every time she missed and it just went wah, 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 <laughs> or blue raspberries at her or and all sorts. And it was so funny. And I wish he'd done it more. If I were him, I would have done it more. I'm really trying to get under the skin, but it was very, very good and uh, very enjoyable and definitely took Conta by surprise. <laughs> it took her a while <laughs> to adjust to it because when you miss one of those really easy balls, especially if it's a big moment, you get that sinking feeling inside. You know, if you're out and you remember you've left your hair straighteners on or something, or you've left the cooker on or you've left the door unlocked and you get that kind of, ooh, inside. 
maybe this is not the right comparison to make. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm just I'm just thinking about all these things you've either left unlocked or left on. I'm surprised you've got a, a house to go back to. <laughs> I've only had a few house fires. It's fine. But yeah, you get that sinking feeling, that real like that, just that drop in your stomach, and then and you can't inside. You kind of feel oh, and then around the arena, you hear thousands of people suddenly going oh, and you realise oh, okay, I'm playing in front of a lot of people here. That was much worse than I thought it was and then on top of that you're piling on a trombone <laughs> oh it was brilliant but the, the the Kazakh support was outstanding it, you could not wish for more for an away team they did not let up at all and uh, especially because they're two players Diaz and Pusintseva they're real fighters aren't they they're real scrappers they love all of that they love being the underdog and it, it just made for such a perfect match the Pusintseva victory celebration is something that should be watched by everybody looking to do a victory celebration at some point in their life together with kissing her bicep towards the end of it. I mean, it was, it was absolutely, it was, I think I watched it about three or four times. It was absolutely outstanding. In her defence, she was match points down, three match points down. She was four love down in the third set. She was five, two down. Don't defend her. I thought it was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it was great it was quite extraordinary and from our angle I actually got a bit worried at first because you know she there was a, a little bit of um, te- I, I wouldn't say tension but there's a bit of something something before the whole tie got underway because Anne Kjothovong said that she had experienced a put in saver attitude and feistiness on the court which can sometimes go overboard and because Anne lost to her when she was a 15-year-old up-and-comer. I, I think she was probably even stronger with her, her antics on court. And Anne said, oh, yes, I've, I've experienced the Putin Saver situation. And then Putin Saver's response was, well, well, yeah. I mean, I've experienced the Anki Othavong stuff as well. You know, she gave as good as she got or something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing, but you know what I mean. And uh, again, remember, we don't really deal with many facts on tennis. <laughs> Anecdotal <laughs> evidence is all we need. <laughs> <laughs> especially when I, especially when I'm involved. Anyway, and so there was a little bit of something, something. And from our angle, when she did that massive roar at the end to her team before she shook hands, and she had uh, her index fingers, not her middle fingers, but her index fingers, and she kind of she threw them up in the air. Anyway, it, from our position, it looked like she was doing it towards Anne, and I was thinking, hold tight, oh my this is going to kick off now. But actually she was looking straight past Anne, but she was probably looking right over Anne's shoulder to the, the crowd and support team and, and everything. So it was okay in the end. And just by looking at Anne, you could tell it was not aimed at her because, <laughs> because she, she wouldn't have had any of that. But it was all fine. But yeah, the, the celebration I felt was warranted. It, I mean, she was so, so down in that match. And we said, well, well I said before the beginning of her match, this is Putin saver. She will fight. She will scrap. You can never, ever count her out. When she's match points down or when she's far down in matches, she goes, she resorts back to just what is automatic, which is to make balls. It's to fight. It's to work. It's to fist pump and make you get over the line. You have to win it. And Bolter wasn't able to. Would you one day or have ever liked a job like Anki Othavang as Fed Cup captain? Because that's a, that's a big task, isn't it? You've got to rally together a group of people. You've got to bring together personalities and they're always going to they're going to be different personalities because that's the thing about life and they don't get that much time to spend together and then 
you've got someone who, who wins. Then you've got someone who hasn't won. You've got to pull them all together, make these decisions. I mean, that's a, that's a big, big job. I mean, Great Britain coming through and getting promotion is absolutely fantastic. But, but that is a task for Anki Othavang. I genuinely think she's done an amazing job. It's not easy. This was a group of individuals and that is because they're tennis players. And that's the thing is that people, I I heard a lot of the the, the media is kind of saying, well, you know, Conta doesn't really enjoy playing in a team. Well, yeah, that's why she picked tennis. So she could play by (laughs) herself. That's why I played tennis, especially as a Brit. I know Conta wasn't raised in Britain, but particularly as a Brit, you are actively encouraged as a sporty girl into so many team sports, into netball and hockey and football and all these different things that you could possibly play. And the individual sports like tennis and golf, which is actually where the, uh, the, the huge amount of success and potential really lies. They are the two biggest sports for women. Well, tennis is the biggest sport for women, hands down, but golf is probably somewhere second. And then everything else is miles, miles behind, although starting to catch up now. It's a deliberate choice. I didn't like playing in a team. I mean, we talked about this last time. I didn't like the pressure of Fed Cup, having teammates, having people relying on me because... I liked to have full responsibility. I like to take 100% of the disappointment and 100% of the the joy and the glory. Although, you know, I would of course share that out with in my immediate team. But that is why they're tennis players. And yes, Conta is very independent and very much an individual. But you can still play in a team when you're like that. It just takes a little while to figure it out. So for me, I mean, just looking from the outside, it seems like the expectations on Joe are slightly different to the other characters in the team. So she doesn't really watch the other matches. And that's not necessarily because she doesn't want to. She's definitely watching backstage on TV. She's definitely very supportive. And I actually think it's fine. But after her singles... We know how methodical she is. We know that she's got her processes. She is relentlessly professional and she doesn't want to sacrifice that. So she does have a lot longer when she finishes her match before she comes out to support. And normally it's about the length of a match. She has press to do. She's got to do her her interviews. She's got to cool down, stretch, eat her food. She will do everything right. And I think that was one thing that Anne has got spot on by accepting that for Conta to feel comfortable in the team, she still needs to complete what she would do post-match. And unfortunately, that does take up when she's playing first, which she was at the copper box. That does mean that she pretty much misses the other the other singles match. When she was in Bath, she didn't watch Katie Bolter's matches courtside. She, of course, watched them backstage, but didn't watch them courtside because she was preparing for her match. And she is a planner. She's methodical. And I think that's right for her. If you want her to play at her best, then you have to allow her to be slightly more independent and a bit more in control. Whereas a lot of other players will finish their match, quick shower, have a bite to eat, do the press, and they'll be out by kind of 3-2 in the first set. I mean, Putin Saver was out quite quickly after her matches. So everybody's different. Um, whereas somebody like a Heather would be out much quicker. They would eat courtside. We saw Andy Murray when he played Davis Cup. He'd be eating his... 72 pieces of sushi courtside or whatever it was but everybody's different and I think that is such a key to making a bunch of individuals work as a team I mean these athletes pretty much have not played team sports since they were probably 10 11 
it's always been individual, apart from very every so often playing Fed Cup. The only thing I can liken this to that I've had any experience of is organising a Hindu. Simply that I had to get a group. <laughs> I had to, I had, honestly, this is leading somewhere. I had. To, uh, do you know what? When I see Anne Kjothavong, I'll say Gigi Salmon said the British team looked like a Hindu. <laughs> I'm sure that will go and, down. <laughs> and again, Naomi Cavadeh's paraphrasing. No, in the sense of, <laughs> in the sense of, I was, I had a group of women that I had to organize and I had to tell everyone what was going in and we had, we were doing the same thing. So it, it's very different, but, it, but it's the only thing I can even get anywhere near to in the sense that I had to make a plan that brought all these different characters into a plan that some might not want to do. Some are very different. Some had to be handled carefully. Others didn't really care. They just said, just tell me when, where and how much money and I'm going to be there. Others were very specific. Others couldn't do this. And it was very difficult. I vowed, I think it went well. I vowed never to do it again because just, just, it was just getting this group of people who are very different and bringing them together for a weekend. As I say, it's, it's similar, but very different to what we're talking about. But I had to make a group of women work for one weekend. But I think it's exactly spot on what you said about Anne and what she's done so well is you have to, you cannot have one plan for everybody. I couldn't even have one plan for any, I really wanted one. You had to look at certain people and say, okay, this person, a little bit difficult. So we're going to sort, one person wanted to bring their boyfriend. They wanted to bring their boyfriend on a Hindu. And I'm thinking, and this was one of the um, bridesmaids. So a fairly important part of the hen weekend. Sorry to digress from Fed Cup for a second. So she had to be involved. She had to be there. She was quite important. And she wouldn't come without her boyfriend. It was quite a new relationship. They're in the honeymoon period. I'm thinking, how am I, what, this, this can't even, this doesn't make sense. What's going on here? So, but again, you have to treat everybody. And that's the thing I learned from that is that, you know, one size does not fit all. And you had to look at it carefully. And it's exactly what you're saying that Ankyothavong has done. So it's similar, but very, very different <laughs> in that you have to judge the personalities. And there might be people saying, why isn't she there? And why does this other person not cheer for every single point? But you've also got to go with the personalities of the people. And you guys spend so much of your time on your own in many ways. Yes, you might a coach and a trainer and there might be someone else that you, you hit with that's always there. But you spend such big swathes of time on your own being very selfish creatures. And suddenly for the weekend, it's like we're all best friends and we're all together and everyone's doing everything. It must actually be for those who aren't, it doesn't come natural to you, it must be quite difficult. It, it is really difficult. I mean, I found it very difficult when I played Fed Cup. I didn't really know the other girls that well at all. I mean, I only really got to know Bally after that. I was 17. I'd only been playing full time a year and I hadn't really been playing the same tournaments as them. So I kind of turned up and there was none of this, oh, let's do some team bonding for a week and everything that, that goes on now. I mean, they definitely understand the more holistic approach. Ours was just turn up and play. So to expect people that barely knew me to be passionately supporting me at the side and people who are almost trained to compete with me rather than to support me, it, it was just it, it was just never going to work. And it was a, a very odd it was an odd vibe. I mean, we all we were all positive and we all tried and we all got on board, but it, it is very difficult to get to the point where it's really coming from within. And I must say that the GB performance at the Copper Box was the first time that I really believed the team. 
I really believed it from everybody there. It's a well-established team now because Anne's been captaining it for a while. Joe's been right at the top. And I think that's the big thing. She's got Joe very, very right. Joe is totally on board because she gets to do her own thing. She gets to contribute massively to the team. I don't think she actually relishes having the team supporting her. They're much more subdued when she's playing than when Katie Bolter is playing. And I I think that's deliberate. I don't think she wants people jumping up and down. She likes things a particular way. But could that be something that she has said or maybe it's something that Anne has said to the others about her? How would something like that naturally does it naturally come about or does something have to be said um probably a bit of both working out what works for her asking her like oh did you like what was coming from the side in that match and it takes time it takes trial and error and that's what we have had is that joe has played very consistently for us for quite some time so she's been able to to figure that out but definitely the other players don't jump up as much as they do with bolter whereas the staff jump up regardless. I mean, they're just up and down. I mean, knees must be aching. They all need some serious physio. I hope they pay the physio for an extra couple of days just to sort everybody out afterwards. (laughs) But um, I definitely noticed that they're more subdued during the Conta matches than they are with the Bolter ones, where with Bolter, they're just in her face because she's roaring back at them. Conta tends to fist pump to herself. You know, she even at the end, she fist pumps to herself or then to the crowd and that sort of thing. Um, and it's all fine. It's all absolutely right. She's a tennis player. She plays by herself the whole time and, and everybody's different. And also, Anne Kjothevong talks a lot less to somebody like Joe Conta on the court than she would to Katie Bolter because she's known Katie since she was much younger. She's been part of her development. So she really it is part of her team actually through the year very close with Jeremy Bates who's her coach so she understands everything that's going on with Katie Bolter and it's not the case so much with Joe Conta and where and she just is confident that Joe's got it under control so I think it was an amazing effort it was really great to see a proper proper team because I don't really feel like I've ever felt that with a British team and I, and I don't mean that in a negative way I, I mean that because of everything that I've said, because to be a successful tennis player, like you say, you have to be selfish, you have to be independent, you have to be highly competitive with everybody around you. Um, you have to be guarded a lot of the time as well. And you ultimately you really have to try and not leave all of those things behind, but navigate that to get to a team. So uh, I, I, I don't mean that I don't feel like the team atmosphere was very good before I just this was the first time that I really believed it like you you pick up any team that's been playing together in a team sport for 10 years or five years and I'd put it right up alongside that in terms of the team atmosphere and everything I heard from the people involved was exactly the same they all said that yeah really felt like we belonged here I remember you said on the pod last week that if GB were to lose it would be crushing because you have this snakes and ladders scenario and you just shoot straight down the snake and it's not as simple as one time you come back up again so what do you think this will mean getting this win and getting promotion well we're in the world group which is nice world group two um, it may change next year. They're talking. The ITF are talking about changing the system. The Davis Cup has already changed to twelve teams during in a one week long event in Madrid. Um, and I, it's something I was actually saying during the tournament. That I'm I'm kind of glad that the women have been left behind in these decisions because we get to see <laughs> we can see how Madrid works. And if it's great, we'll say yes. We'll have some of that. Thanks. And if not, maybe we can stick with the home and away matches. I don't know. Maybe we'll be able to do that. I don't think we would but uh, it seems like the ITF want to push towards a week-long event but whether or not that will come in next year who knows but we'll be in it whatever it is we'll be in it we'll be doing it 
and, and that's great. But the difficulty is, is that you look at the other teams in the world group too and just like a tennis tournament, just like climbing the rankings, don't get any easier. You always feel like there's a hurdle to get over. Even in your individual career, moving up the rankings, oh, if I just get to this ranking, then I'll be seeded in these these uh, lower ranked tournaments and that'll make my life easier. And then you get there and then you've got pressure to defend points all the time because you've picked up points before. So that makes it harder. And then you think, oh, if I just get to this ranking, then I'll be, at, uh, then I'll be in the main draw of the bigger tournaments. And then you get less matches because you're not winning lots of matches to pick up the same amount of points. But it, it never gets easier. It just gets harder. It can get nicer, that's for sure. On your way to the top, you could sometimes start taking nicer transport, staying in nicer hotels. You know, once you finally get, I think probably the one, the one barrier where it does get easier is where you just get into the top 108 and you're now in main draw of slams. That is a big deal because that really can help you maintain your ranking quite comfortably. And it gets much nicer. You get a lot more money. <laughs> Loads more money. <laughs> with Monte Carlo, we were talking about this with Dusan Lajevic, the Serb who came in at world number 48 into that tournament and he'd never reached an ATP Tour final, let alone a Masters final. He'd had eight Futures finals, eight Challengers finals, never won on the main tour. And suddenly, he, deservedly, with the scalps that he picked up along the way of, of Dominic Thiem and, and David Goffin and Daniel Medvedev, he finds himself in a Masters 1000 final. And yes, it brings pressure with it. He, if people who haven't seen or heard, he lost out to, to Fabio Fanini, who was in his first Masters 1000 final, but has a lot more experience and already had eight tour titles. But it changes things completely. Suddenly, he's going to be seeded now, Dusan Lavic, at the French Open. So suddenly, he's a seed at this tournament. And he'll go into his next tournament with people saying, I want to beat him because he got to the final in Monte Carlo. And if he's getting to the final in Monte Carlo, I'm going to beat him. And that's something that can happen to me. But And, and we've touched on this before about those players who are happy where they are and are kind of, you know, they get to where they are and they're like, oh, this is, you know, this is quite nice. I've got a nice life and those that want to go up. But you're someone like Adusan Lavic and you go on a run like that, everything is going to change. The money is different. You are seeded, different tournaments that you can enter. So it, it does get harder, but it, it probably should get harder, shouldn't it, to a degree because the rewards are better. So you have to work harder for the better rewards. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, but it, it's the mentality. I agree with you, but it's the mentality that you just got to get over this hurdle. Like, oh, if I can just get to, because you have to give yourself short-term goals. You can't start your career saying, right, goal is number one in the world, and then every day go, yep, not there yet. <laughs> it's a good goal, not there yet, <laughs> not there yet, still not there. And it's just demoralising. You can't work like that. You have to break it down. So you have to you almost create these hurdles. And so getting to the top 100 is a massive hurdle. It's something that we talk about all the time, top 100 player, that sort of thing. But every time you get there, there's just, there's another one. And the next one's harder and higher and further away. <laughs> um, but as I say, the reward obviously comes with it. And it, it does seem obvious that it would get high, harder. But when you kind of plan things, you're like, I just want to get there. And then you almost want to rest because it's been such a mammoth effort to get there. I mean, it's like, I think we, we look at Simona Halep. She hasn't really been at her best so far this year. But the level of effort, I mean, she got every drop out of herself to get that Grand Slam last year and to be number one for so long. It's just unsustainable. You cannot max out like that permanently. She maxed out for as long as she could. And then it, it, you could see in her in her demeanour, you could see in the choices she was making, the fact that her and Darren Cahill split, that it was 
job done, big tick. We got over that hurdle. She's now kind of having to recalibrate, figure out what the next hurdle is. But uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's very hard once you get there to then maintain it, I suppose. And similar for the, the, the Fed Cup team. Yes, it's great. They're in the World Group too. Which is which is an amazing achievement, and I'm in no way taking anything away from it. We haven't been there for ages, not not in my lifetime. It's it's phenomenal. But ultimately, if the system stays the same, which it might, then we could just lose next year and we'd just be down again. <laughs> so it's it's just never ending, really. And, no, okay. Wait, no. Can we stay positive? For now? We're gonna we're gonna stay positive on this for now. Okay, okay. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I apologise for that. That was uncalled. Come on. I want I'm on positive cavity here. Can I ask when when it finished and everyone was celebrating? Did the Kazakh trombone join in with some GB celebrations, or did he go very very quiet? No, he was pretty good. Do you know what? They were fantastic support. So respectful. One of the journalists went to the press conference of uh, of Zarina Diaz when she lost her first match. She lost tightly in three sets. She'd played really well. She is the lowest ranked player of the four singles players, but she felt like she did maybe have a chance, but she did lose. And she came in. I mean, there were a lot of Kazakh journalists. It was amazing. I mean, I think the Brits were outnumbered in the media room for quite some time. Maybe it became even by the end of it, but amazing for an away match. Anyway, when she came in, they all clapped. They clapped her in. The whole media room. Have you ever seen that? They clapped her in. I mean, well, fine if you've won Wimbledon. That ten- maybe that happens. <laughs> I was going to say I've, I've seen it at the end of I've seen it at the end of at the end of most of the Grand Slams when the winner comes in and there's the trophy there. But uh, wow, isn't that fascinating that the media would clap a great effort you, you on your way in? But that that must really change your psyche for doing media commitments can you imagine the British press clapping somebody who had lost first round of Wimbledon and saying yeah but good effort do you know what you're a wild card here maybe one of my matches I was the lowest ranked player in Wimbledon and I nearly won a match I had match points and I lost when I played against Martina Hingis I could have had a clap did they not clap did no one clap? No. No one. No, they just said, nah, should have won that. <laughs> That's basically all I got. It's quite different, isn't it? But no, that was amazing. I thought that was incredible. And honestly, everything, I mean, the way that the, the captain of the Kazakhs con- conducted himself, he was brilliant. The whole thing was respect from start to finish. And I loved the way they went about it. It was so much fun. I really enjoyed the weekend. So when we finished, I actually I had a, I had a dinner just down the road. My friends live around the corner, lovely. And it was actually it's Ben's best man. He, it was his birthday, so we went to their dinner. But it's one of those things when you're commentating on tennis. I had to say to them, "There's about a ten percent chance I'm not getting out of here before midnight." You just you just don't know if if three matches are well, if the two singles are three and a half hours, and the doubles is close to two hours, plus I'm changing over. I mean, it could be a nightmare. Or I could be done at two o'clock and I'll be round early saying, hi, can I help you cook anything? <laughs> but they must be used to this with you because it's Ben's best man. So they must know that with tennis, whether you're playing it or working with it, you must often be either late or really, really early. Yes, I have often sent the messages saying, start without me. <laughs> I don't think I've ever ended up being really early, which... Uh... It's a shame, <laughs> but uh, it's just normally longer than expected. You try and give kind of two hours for each match, but with Fed Cup, it could have been one match and it was done and we were only covering the live matches on BBC. So it could have been one match and we were done or it could have been all three matches. So it, I really did have a wide range as to, <laughs> to what could happen on the Sunday. <laughs> but I went around there and now I'm actually a bit wounded 
Like, <laughs> so we went around for dinner and I'd had quite an exhausting weekend. It was dramatic. All of the matches were really tight. We were on radio commentary, which, as you know, is a bit more physically demanding than TV is. And we were really getting into it and it was emotional. And my earrings, of course, I had to really try and harness the power from my earrings. And I was absolutely exhausted. And I actually chose to walk. It was about a half an hour walk. So you've got all, okay, so you've got, you've laid the groundwork. You've got all your excuses in nice and early. <laughs> I, I, I have, you know no, so I have well. no clue what's coming next, but I like the groundwork that you've laid. <laughs> anyway, right. So I decided to walk there, which was about a half an hour walk or so, rather than jump in an Uber or get a bus, which would have taken 10 minutes, because I just needed to mentally clear my head before I went and spoke to other people who have no understanding, didn't even know what had happened at Fed Cup. I think they probably knew we won, but <laughs> anyway, so I went uh, I went round for dinner and it was great. And we had, some, we had a bit of wine and we had some nice food. So fast forward to dessert, I may have made an, an error of judgment. It was a well, I'm going to say I definitely misjudged the situation heavily. So we did a course each. We bought the starter, which I had no part in because I was busy at the Copper Box. What was, what was, we need the courses. What was the starter? It's really not relevant, but uh, Ben made an incredible chicken liver pate with some Lovely. beautiful sourdough bread. So that went down a treat. Main meal was lamb. It's Easter after all. Lamb and risotto and spinach. That was lovely. Lovely, lovely. Yeah, lots of wine with that as well. So I was feeling quite jolly by the time we got to the dessert. <laughs> and they had made this really nice peanut butter ice cream and a peanut butter sort of cheesecakey thing in a in a jar. It's great. All the good stuff, you know, biscuits and whatever. <laughs> anyway, but they they had this ice cream churner, which had been in the freezer, and they, they popped it out on the table and basically say, if you want any extra ice cream, just help yourself. And it came out, and you know, around the, around the outside of it, it was uh, it, it almost like dry ice on it. You know, you can kind of draw in it and write, you could write Gigi in it, for example. I mean, would I? Okay. <laughs> and, so, and somebody said, <laughs> and, and somebody said, ooh, your tongue would stick to that, wouldn't it? No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 it wouldn't stick to that. No, that's not cold enough. No chance. <laughs> and we had this whole conversation. They said, yes, it would. I said, no way would your tongue stick to that. I was entirely convinced that a tongue would not stick to that uh you can probably guess what happened and they said go on then <laughs> and after a few glasses of wine you went okay well yeah so i picked it up whacked my tongue on it uh my facial expression turned from smug to panicked quite quickly as i realized my tongue was very much stuck to the ice cream bowl of which we were all going to eat out of. So I had a... St- oh, 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 that's disgusting. <laughs> so I had a split second to just decide what to do because it was either leave the tongue on and do what you're supposed to do. Apparently, it's never happened to me. Do you mean leave the tongue on? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're supposed to leave the tongue on and then kind of pour hot water on it. But then this would ruin the ice cream. Or cold water or something. I don't what know. What are you pouring? You can't pour hot. This is your tongue we're talking about. A, a, an organ. <laughs> you need to pour hot. We're not boiling. Oh, okay. Not boiling. <laughs> just warm. Hot. <laughs> to try and get it off. Oh, this is uh, this is a horrible image you're painting. Okay. <laughs> so in the end, so this is only about three seconds. And I just thought, this is horrendously embarrassing. You did My only choice is to rip this off. You didn't. And I just ripped oh. it off. <laughs> I just ripped it off. <laughs> 
<laughs> How much of your tongue remained on it? <laughs> Quite a bit. <laughs> Quite a oh, bit. that's horrible. But before I could before I could scrape the tongue off, I had to deal with the tongue that I had left in my mouth, which was. Uh, bleeding quite significantly <laughs> as tongues do and so I was so everybody was talking to me and I was trying to act cool of course I was like oh that didn't go as as planned could you speak I could speak yes but I was aware of the taste of blood and I thought I'm gonna need to excuse myself without opening my mouth but I didn't want to let on that there was any sort of issue but there was half of your tongue left on the on left on the bowl how did they know there wasn't an issue there was a bit of your tongue well they because they looked at the, I don't know if they thought it was ice or something <laughs> Yeah, it didn't go well. And so I had to go and try and deal with my tongue, which was just not going to stop bleeding. So it didn't stop bleeding for the rest of the evening. Uh, so I came back. I had to scrape scrape, scrape off the remainder of the, the tongue. <laughs> so gross. So gross. Get rid of that. Um, and then I ate pretty much the entire tub of ice cream to just did a, an attempt to soothe my tongue because it was so painful it was a, such a bad you didn't sound weird did you not sound weird because your tongue was either bleeding or swollen or slightly damaged and it's quite an important part of talking did you not sound weird no no it sounded fine i'm i like to just kind of power through and pretend i'm fine especially in some sort of humiliating situation like that where i've clearly injured myself <laughs> for some sort of crowd pleasing activity ben said it's the best thing he's ever seen me do he absolutely loved it <laughs> he thought it was hilarious but then then i had to show him the next day what my tongue looked like and he thought yeah maybe wasn't worth it how is it now it's not great it's quite swollen, very bumpy. It, I mean, it's burnt. It's, it's burnt. I mean, it's, a, it, it's burnt a lot worse than if you were to burn it on a hot cup of coffee or something. So <laughs> I must say, I feel quite, uh, I quite a lot of regret <laughs> for what I did. And it's going to be a couple of weeks of being incredibly uncomfortable. And just before we started this, I did get a text come through <laughs> saying... How's your tongue? <laughs> you know, but you know the, the the silver lining in all this. You're not going to do it again. I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> I mean, next time you're at a dinner party and someone's like, "I bet your tongue could get stuck to that." You are not going to offer your tongue <laughs> to try it out. I didn't think that I was going to be one of those people that had to have a list of not dinner party conversation or not dinner party behaviour. But my list has started, and licking ice cold things is definitely number one on my not to do at dinner parties. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you could you expand it to maybe not to do ever? Why? Is it limited to dinner parties? Is it something you would still do, just you and Ben, <laughs> maybe on know. a Saturday night, tub of ice cream for dessert? I mean, surely that goes on your "I will never do that again" list, rather than "Oh, when I'm at a dinner party, might not do that next time." Yeah, and you know what? It really wasn't worth it because you would at least feel like, "Oh, we had some good conversation out of it." Not really. By the time I came back from the loo and trying to sort myself out, the conversation had moved on. No one was really that bothered, so it was not worth it in any way. So. Yeah, my tongue is, mm, I'm just feeling it now. Yeah, it's not, it's not great. It's pretty fuzzy and just quite sore. And do you know what? Trying to drink wine, that was the hardest thing, was then we had some wine or a bit of port at the end. And it was the most painful thing because I had a burn and I'm just basically pouring acid on it. <laughs> it was so painful. But again, I just tried to, tried to be like, oh, yes, absolutely lovely. Yes, give me more port. I'll drink this as I was shoveling mouthfuls of ice cream into my mouth. So Maybe just hoping it was going to numb it eventually. You just yeah. drink so much port 
that you won't feel your tongue, you won't feel anything. But each mouthful of wine was still, it, it, it was stinging a lot. And I can sense your disappointment and I feel like it's warranted. So. <laughs> I know, I, I just wish I'd been there. <laughs> oh, so funny. But I'm also that I wasn't there and I couldn't actually witness this amazing, this amazing, <laughs> this amazing spectacle. Now, I, do, you, um, do you drink coffee? Not obviously at the moment because you've got a burnt tongue, but I can't even remember. Are you a coffee drinker? I am a coffee drinker, yes. A coffee drinker. So, you know, I don't, I don't drink coffee, not for health or whatever reason. I just don't like coffee. But Barry Cowan said, and I needed to ask this of a coffee drinker, that he would drink 10 cups of coffee, 10 cups of coffee a day, which to me seems outrageous. Is that a normal amount? What now? Yeah, till, until a month ago. Well, I'm not affected by caffeine, so... I could, I could, I could happily drink ten cups of coffee a day. That would be fine. I just don't. Seems excessive. It seems excessive. If you're affected by caffeine, then I think that's an addiction. Well, he he realised that he was making his predictions as we've been doing for ATP Tennis Radio, and for Indian Wells he didn't even look at the draw, which seems somewhat foolish. And then in Miami they went a little bit weird, and he he thought it might be the coffee because he was drinking sort of ten cups. So now he he then so the next day one day he just decided to stop all coffee. Then he had bad withdrawals and he was like, why have I got this awful headache? Because you haven't had your 10 cups of coffee. And now he's down to two. He seems to have he seems to have settled. But for someone who doesn't drink it at all, it just felt like an outrageous amount to drink every day. That's a lot. But for you, but if it doesn't affect you, then. Well, I don't drink 10 cups of coffee, but I'm just saying I, I could. I have done before. Just kind of without really realising. Can I say, can I do a final, I'm going to say chicken pox for the last time and then we're never going to talk about it again until you is have children. Going? Well, one of the twins is still very spotty, but he's he's now not contagious. They've all, but it's just a little tip. It's not a tip from me. It's a tip that I read about. I think I saw it online. A doctor recommended it. If anyone out there is listening and they do have children and they've got chicken pox, they're getting it. Head and shoulders shampoo. Right. That's good to know. And it works. Wash them in it bubble bath apparently a doctor recommended it to a mum whose child had it very badly you just wash them head to toe in head and shoulders it's it's a joyous thing it's a great thing so that's just like my little tip it's not I say it's nothing I created I just heard about it but I thought if I could share if there's one person that might pass that on to someone that can help a spotty child no we were we're sort of we're sort of over the he just looks a little bit you just get the odd look when you take them out and they think oh he's got a lot of spots but they've they're all healing nicely he seems fine. I think we're back to normal. I think we're done. I think, I think I've got three chicken pox. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> I think it's over. <laughs> yeah, I think Aww. just as well. That's a really as the Easter holidays come to an end. I think I think chicken pox is over. Uh, maybe I need to not put any cold tubs of ice cream near them because maybe that's something they might try sticking their tongues to the side of it. <laughs> yeah, I do feel like. I, I, it is, it's okay for you to compare me to a three-year-old because I feel like my behaviour was possibly in the same league. But I'm not sure my three-year-olds would do it. <laughs> At that point. So we should, I feel, I'm, I'm still feeling a little bit queasy from the tongue thing. And, and in the past, you, you know, if you've got a little bit of injury or a bruise, you've sort of sent me a picture saying, oh, how does this look? Doesn't look nice. I'm glad I got, if, if I'd suddenly randomly got a shot of your tongue on <laughs> on Saturday night, it would have been like I've had your wedding shoes. You've sent me a video of just your yes. sort of woolly socks and wedding shoes, which was lovely. Can I just thank you for not deciding to send me a picture of your tongue? Because I'm just, I'm just not sure how I dealt with it. 
<laughs> I just wouldn't have dealt with it very well yeah. at all. Well, I have a picture and I'm going to send it to you now. You do? You haven't? Please yeah. don't. I will send it to you, yeah. I just don't want it. Take a look. Just, it could be, <laughs> this This could possibly be the last ever episode of Tennis if I lay eyes. Are we, when, are we working together soon? I'm not even sure, are we? I am next working on Madrid for HP Tennis Radio. Are you there? So yes, we will be. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm there through to quarterfinals, I think, because I need to go, because then I, then I need to get to Rome. Because I'm there from day one in Rome, so I need to fly out to Rome on kind of the Saturday. So we'll be together for Madrid in a couple of weeks. Yes. Working for different people in Rome. Are you doing ATP Tennis Radio for Rome? Yes. So we'll oh, be okay. in different commentary boxes for Rome. I think we're still allowed. We're still allowed to talk, but uh, <laughs> we we just not, it's not going to be in the same commentary box together. Um, I'm doing a little bit of Barcelona this week, towards the end of this week, and then I'm doing Champions League. Women's Champions League semi-final, which I'm very excited about. Oh, nice. The second leg of Chelsea-Lyon. Lyon are the best team in the world, domestic football team in the world by far. They've got the World Player of the Year. But Chelsea, they only trail 2-1. So they've got an away goal. Everything to play for. And they're very excited. Um, Chelsea looking for a first Champions League final for the women. So uh, that's at the end of this week. So mixing it up a little bit. And then we're together in Madrid, by which time your tongue will have healed. There'll be no discussions about tongue, no photos about tongue. Can we? Can it be one of those things that we never speak of ever again? <laughs> I'm not even entirely sure it'll be healed by Madrid, to be honest. I just, oh, please. <laughs> well, I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it will be. And uh, I mean, just thank you very, thank you very much for telling me and everybody listening about it. Well, I did consider not, because it is quite an embarrassing and stupid thing to do. But um, hey. I'm sure other people have done things that are equally as stupid, even if they were three years old at the time. If you're listening and you have, please, please, please get in touch with us um, at Tennish on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. If if you love Naomi's tongue story, <laughs> um, then... That doesn't sound you right. Can, you, can, you can leave us a review on iTunes, maybe not mentioning the tongue, just that you've been enjoying what you're listening to. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. Um, that'd be great. And as I say, we're building up to doing a few different bits and pieces during the French Open, which we're quite excited about now the clay court season's underway. Um, but I've got to leave you now because I have to go and I still dousing child in cream every couple of hours for the for the spots. So I, I will I will have to leave you with that lovely story in my mind. Uh, but it, it's been great, and <laughs> and, I, and I look I look forward to hearing what you have to tell me next week. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs>